As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of Civilized Barking is Visa, a network working for everyone. Hey everybody, thanks for coming. It's Civilized Barking. It's Zach Jackson. Uh, we're counting down to week two. It goes fast. Uh, Sunday in KC was fun. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to our post-game episode from Arrowhead Stadium. It was me and Jason Lloyd breaking down every aspect. Um, I've been doing this a long time, as most of you guys know. Um, this is the most talented Browns team that I've covered. That was one of the most exciting games that we've covered. They're disappointed. You're disappointed, sure. Um, and, you know, the Texans are coming. And how can there not be some sort of hangover? But guess what? Cleveland is going to be alive. That stadium is going to be rocking. The parking lots are going to be rocking. People will be ready. And what we've heard in Berea this week is that Kevin Stefanski has it all over the walls. The Texans are 1-0. The Browns are 0-1. A reminder that they need this game. A reminder that they can't get caught up in the almosts or the what-ifs from a few plays. And it was only a few plays. Last week, I can't get caught up and getting too fancy or trying to put on a show, uh, but it is going to be a show. It's going to be fun. So what we're going to do today, we're going to talk Texans, uh, talk Browns. I'm going to have my colleague in Houston, Aaron Reese, on. He's going to tell us all about Terod Taylor and Terrence Mitchell. Um, Nick Casario, the Clevelander, starting a rebuild there. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what the hell is or isn't going on with Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, the Texans just destroyed – Jacksonville. Uh, frankly, I've only seen the highlights so far. I've seen the box score, obviously. Um, you know, the Texans are not going to be very good. They're just not. They're, they, they've built an interesting balance of solid pro guys and, and a bunch of young guys. Um, you know, these guys neither know they're not here for long, uh, but the Texans are paying them. They're expecting professionalism. Guys like Christian Kirksey, who you know, Taylor. Um, at quarterback, the running back committee, David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, all of those guys are accomplished NFL players. Um, the tight end, Farrell Brown, the Clevelander and former Brown, he, as we record this on Thursday afternoon, he's missed a couple practices dealing with injury. So I don't know if we'll see him. Um, you know, he's a kid you root for. He, he was in an on and off the practice squad with the Browns on and off the roster. The Browns got rid of him at the start of the 2020 season. The Texans picked him up and he had a big game. Uh, he's a big target. And we know the Browns just don't cover tight ends. So it would be disappointing for him, not only in terms of getting to come home, but, um, you know, 
having the opportunity to catch a bunch of passes at home. We'll see. Um, to go over what's going on, you know, with the Browns, they have a left tackle problem. Jed Wills is hurt. They say the x-rays were negative. It doesn't seem like he's going to play. Chris Hubbard, the backup tackle, who they count on, uh, has a triceps injury. It doesn't seem like he's going to play. So that would leave you the rookie James Hudson, who was a healthy scratch last week. It could leave you Blake Hans, the utility man who played guard all summer. It doesn't appear that it would leave you Joel Batonio or moving Conklin over. I mean, I think those are emergency-only situations. And, you know, as we record this, I guess there is still – 72 hours for a Wills, for a Hubbard to get healthy. The way I read it, they're not going to. Um, we'll see. You know, we know the Browns have one of the best offensive lines in the league, and we know they have incredible experience there with Petonio and with Treader to start with, not to mention Conklin, who I thought was awesome last week, you know, before giving up that one that one sack late to Chris Jones. They're coached by Bill Callahan. Um, just their physical style and their skill set suit the way Stefanski wants to run the ball with the, the pools and the counters. Um, it's nasty power running. So a rookie left tackle, not ideal. A guard moving out to left tackle, not ideal. But we'll see. I still think the Browns are fine. I think the Browns will score plenty of points. I I don't know. Um, the line is like 13 in this, and that's a ton for an NFL game. So I'm not touching that. Uh, I think the Texans will want to be conservative. I think the Browns will want to force turnovers, and, and we know – that's what their defense did best last year, and the offense did a really good job capitalizing. So going forward, you know, that's that's going to be a key. You know, as far as other issues, Odell is not going to play. I, I really don't know what to read into it. Um, you know, the team is saying that they, they tried to get him ready last week. He wasn't ready for X number, 20, 25 snaps, whatever it was going to be. So he's not playing again this week either. And in in the realm of it only being 10 months off of surgery and he hasn't had any contact, that makes perfect sense. In the realm of he participated all the way through. And, you know, we thought um, that he would play last week. And, you know, they had people tweeting game time decision. And he was dressed for practice on Friday afternoon and running around like he's been doing. It's a little surprising. I don't I don't know. We'll see. You know, defensively, uh, Grant Delpit might make his NFL debut. That'll be more on special teams. Greg Newsom has a minor injury, but I think Joe Woods expects him to play. You know, you just need more. You just need Miles Garrett and Clowney to 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 dominate, to make make those big plays. And we'll see what happens at linebacker, where Anthony Walker played ninety five percent of the snaps and nobody played more than twenty percent of the snaps. Jok started the game. Um, he wasn't very good as a blitzer. Malcolm Smith played. Yeah, I just that's just not going to work. I, I, I we'll see. Uh, you're probably going to play more base defense against the Texans at least early in the game than you're going to play against almost any other team, barring the Ravens, and they're a different challenge with, with Lamar. So, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. And if you're Mac Wilson, you're Taki Taki, you're JOK. There's certainly you should see opportunity to seize the moment. Um, again, no one's asking or expecting this Browns defense to suddenly turn into the next Steel Curtain. Just need to make big plays, and they need to give the offense chances. I mean, if the Browns are going to be good, the Browns are going to need to score, score, score a bunch. And they, they they did that last week. They just didn't score enough. Scored 22 points in the first half and finished with 29. And when you add penalties and dropping punt snaps and trying to keep up with Patrick Mahomes, um, it's hard. you got to score more than 29. And, and again, um, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm certainly not blaming Baker. And I thought Baker was lights out for 50 minutes in that game. The reality is 
if you're ever going to beat the Chiefs, you're going to have to deliver at the end. The reality is if the Browns are going to win 12 or 13 games and win the division, there's going to be a lot of wild back-and-forth games where you're going to have to make plays in the fourth quarter to either bring your team back or to answer another team's score or to put them away. And last week, the Browns had Kevin Stefanski's dream. The ball in the lead in the fourth quarter. Give it to Hunt and Chubb and salt it away. Well, it didn't work that way. The Browns had two possessions after the Chiefs took the lead. They got one first down. They didn't produce. Again, he just has to do it next time for this team to get it to its lofty yet attainable goals. They have to stay healthy, and they have to keep outscoring people. And, um, you know, if you want to say, of course, they have to score more points to win, well, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. But, you know, until we see a lot different, this team's formula is to be aggressive on fourth down, be aggressive right out of the gate, try to build that lead, and then use that back that backfield and uh, that O-line to salt it away. So um, I don't really have a whole lot else to say. I'll have an Ask in Jackson mailbag next week. Send your questions. You can always send them to me. We'll sometimes answer them here on the podcast. But two straight home games for the Browns, a chance to get on track, get back in the win column, or get in the win column this week, uh, get back to a winning record here in the next 10 days or so. Um, this is a good team, folks. This is the team you've been waiting for. How it all plays out, how it all exactly shakes out, um, I don't know. You know, off of four quarters, off of eight quarters, you're going to see good and bad. I don't care who you are. You're going to see things that you need to build on to get where you need to get to going. You're going to see things you didn't expect. You're going to deal with injuries. You're going to deal with the punter dropping the ball, right? Um, not necessarily that, but a lot of things. I mean, we need to see Chase McLaughlin kick field goals. We haven't seen that yet, right? Um, so, uh, again, like I said, overall optimistic. Should be a hell of a scene on Sunday, and I'm looking forward to it. So let's go to Houston, uh, my buddy Aaron Reese, and talk about the Texans in Sunday's game. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, as promised, we go to Houston a couple of days before he comes to Cleveland. His name is Aaron Reese. He does a wonderful job covering the Texans. Um, Aaron, from a national perspective, you know, from a big-picture Texans perspective, there's there's really only one story So with the Texans, so we'll start with their, their at quarterback. Um, how is Davis Mills progressing? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's uh, – uh, I thought maybe at some point he would get a chance to, uh, to play – at the end of the season, you know, they'd make, need to evaluate him. Uh, maybe they still will before they have a very high pick and maybe pick another quarterback. But I, I now like after seeing him in the preseason camp, I'm like, oh, maybe they feel like they just they know the guy. He's not going to be the guy, and he just is the backup <laughs> all year. I don't know. I also think, and we'll talk more about this. I'm sure is like, I, I mean, there's a chance this team, this Texans team, is frisky enough that they may play themselves out of 
getting a quarterback in this next year's draft, unless they choose to move up or whatever. And, uh, and maybe Tyrod Taylor is the – or Tyrod, I, I, I mess it up too, but maybe he ends up being the quarterback for two years in a row. We'll see. Yeah, um, you know, through circumstances not really his own, he's never been the quarterback lately for more than a month, right? Um, he is a pro's pro. You know, going back to 2018, I thought John Dorsey spending a third-round pick on him was something they had to do. They had to take care of the most important position in sports. He guided the Texans to a win last week, and he's never going to do it himself. But, um, you know, what what did that game really look like? I know that that they forced some turnovers and, and they jumped all over them, um, and, and the Jaguars were a mess. But, you know, what did that game look like in terms of, um, you know, what the Texans were trying to do and then and then how, you know, the circumstances shaped the rest of it from there? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think um... – this team knows that, like you said, Tyrod can't really do it himself. He's going to need he's going to need a defense that's going to produce turnovers, and they're going to need to run the ball effectively, shorten the game, um, and uh, and 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 then also make it so that the defense has to respect them running the ball and that they can throw over the top. Uh, interestingly, they did not really run uh, the ball that well, that efficiently, though they did do it a lot, especially um, obviously when they were they were winning big. Uh, so the numbers are a bit skewed. But I mean, even in the first half, I think they had 15 early down runs to 14 passes. And what was interesting to me is that this team uh, played more 13 personnel, three tight ends, one running back uh, than they played all of last season. And I think that is, again, emblematic of just like. This team has to change how it has to play. They don't, they're not very deep at receiver. They know they need to run the ball. So they're going to play a lot of heavy personnel. Um, and they're going to just keep leaning into that and keep doing it, even if it wasn't super efficient uh, the first week. I, I, I thought it was kind of fun just to see, uh, even though the same offense coordinator, same play caller and Tim Kelly, um, seeing how much things are different from a year ago with Deshaun Watson. And to some degree that's expected, but I don't think we knew quite what it would look like. And uh, you saw a lot of uh, work out of the pistol. Like I said, a lot of heavier formations and on defense um, again, maybe a little skewed by the, the nature of the game, but they played the second highest rate of zone uh, in the league in week one, only the Eagles who also won by a wide margin um, were ahead of them. And I think we can expect they're going to continue to be a team that plays a lot of zone. and doesn't really blitz with Lovey Smith as the defensive coordinator. Right. Okay. So um Watson's still being there every day. It's obviously awkward on a scale of, of one to super, super awkward. What, what's it been like? I think at this point, I mean, I don't know, maybe for players it's different. I like, but I don't get the sense that it is. I think at this point, maybe I'd say like a three, you know, it's like they, these guys, you still have guys. I mean, it was his birthday the other day. And like, you still have guys mentioning in press conferences that they like wished him a happy birthday. And I think, I think some, to some degree as you know, Zach, like, you know, this is a job for a lot of guys. I don't know how many of them feel personally disrespected by um, him, him wanting to leave and stuff. And, um, and I think it's, it's an awkward thing for the team team to navigate it was more awkward when he was you know participating in in camp practices and stuff and the media is asking David Cully about it every day and and David Cully uh who's a really nice guy uh I think just was not very equipped to handle it never been a head coach before um didn't know quite how to answer it and I think that only exacerbated the issues but you know now Watson is not out of practice um it we all know he's not going to play uh it's kind it's made kind of for the moment a little bit out of sight out of mind i think maybe it picks up a little bit again at the trade deadline and then you know obviously if he's still in the team at the end of the season then again the next off season but that from a day-to-day perspective for the players i don't really know how much it matters you know he is involved in uh in meetings uh 
and, and, you know, maybe he contributes to some degree there, at least, you know, help Tyrod out. I mean, they share the same private quarterback coach and Quincy Avery and they, they are, you know, like legitimate friends. So I don't know if it's the most awkward thing in the world after the kind of the early, what the hell is going on days. That's fair. Um, Christian Kirksey's there. Um, Hasn't been healthy, but he's playing. Terrence Mitchell's there. Uh, Always been kind of Mr. Reliable. Um, Farrell Brown, although seems like maybe he's not trending in the right direction. Who am I missing among the former Browns? Well, let's see. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You have Tarad, you have Kirksey, you have Mitchell. Uh, I think there might be one other I'm missing now, but those, those are those are at least the main guys who are uh, who are. Oh, I guess Eric Murray was also on the Browns at one point. Oh, and he, um, he he is not a. Not Let a, me interrupt you for a minute, Aaron. The height of arrogance is trading a pass rusher, Manuel Agba, for Eric Murray, a backup safety. But go ahead. The the height of arrogance is giving Eric Murray a three year twenty seven million contract, but. <laughs> Uh, but I, uh, uh, yeah, he's not, a, he's not quite a fan favorite. I think he will be done after, uh, after this year here in Houston, uh, the nature of his deal and stuff, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, right? Cause there's a lot of these former Browns, but it was like, it seems like they were on the team and not quite, but similar to the Texans, like somewhat of a transitional time. So I think it's funny hearing, you know, people ask these guys about, you know, their, their memories, the times of the Browns or stuff like that. And it's like, you know, they, it wasn't like they accomplished a lot in that their time in Cleveland or anything necessarily. And, and so I don't know how like sentimental they are about, about returning. Um, but there are a lot, there's a lot of crossover between the two. So it's never this simple, but the Browns have one of the best rosters in the league and the Texans have one of the worst. So other than running it 40 times for 200 yards, how do the Texans stay in this one? Or, or am I being too arrogant? No, I don't think you are. Um, I mean, I think, I think the key is that they can't, they can't obviously get in a situation where they need Tyrod to just be a dropback passer because I don't. As good as Laramie Tunsil is, um, I still think that that defensive front for the Browns poses a lot of issues. Uh, so I think you know the the big thing is they have to run the ball more successfully than they did against. Um, against the Jaguars you know they and uh and like I said it wasn't just a matter of they were inefficient in the second half I mean they faced more loaded boxes in the first half slightly than they did in the second half um and they were you know they're utilizing a lot of this 13 personnel a lot of heavy personnel some two back sets they're going to keep doing that so I think they know that that's their identity so it, it simply has to be better in week two and I you know I have I have some level of optimism that it will be I think that you know Laramie Tunsil missed all of uh preseason with uh after he tested positive for COVID uh, and then Titus Howard, who's the 2019 first round pick, he transitioned from right tackle where he started the past two seasons to left guard where he started one game as a rookie and was not very good, but they put him back there again. Uh, and Marcus Cannon, uh, you know, he he was uh, they traded for him in the offseason veteran Patriots, longtime right tackle. And and he was on pup list off camp. So you have a lot of guys in the offensive line who kind of like were out or like while they were practicing, the guy next to them was out. So I, I think that that group will get better as it goes. Uh, the bigger concern, I think, is is um, is on the other side of the ball. You know, they don't, they didn't stop the run very well last year. Um, the Jaguars, you know, who knows? They, did, I mean, they didn't really run the ball much. They didn't were in position to run the ball very much in the first game. But you know, they they did not. They moved the pocket. They squeezed the pocket on Trevor Lawrence. But two of his three interceptions were um, not under pressure. Uh, and, and they just, uh, they, he was not, he also had five drops against him. So I think the game was not as they won by 16 points, but it was not kind of, it, it very easily could have been a three point game or something like that. Tyra Taylor hit Brandon cooks on two, uh, deep shots 
which were like two of the three least probable completions in the NFL last week. Uh, and both of them were on third down, out of field goal range, both end in touchdown drives. So, I mean, quite literally, if he doesn't hit on those two passes, like it maybe is a two-point game. So, uh, I don't see a world in which they probably keep it really close. But the big thing is they got to run the ball more effectively. Um, and they have to, you know, they have to do somewhat to neutralize on the other side. But obviously, that is easier said than done. Yeah, Aaron, just as a reminder to you and to the listeners, I mean, for many years, I covered teams that were so talent efficient that Christian Kirksey was the third best player on the defense. So I know what this is what this is like. Um, what is the overall vibe there? I mean, like you mentioned, they might go ahead and win a few, right? And certainly 1-0 is a place to start. But last year, Jacksonville was 1-0 and then was 1-15. Um, taking the Watson uncertainty out of it, even though you really can't, it, it hangs over everything, right? Like, what is the plan for this team for the next four months and then for the next 10 to 18 after that? Yeah. So, you know, um, I think, right. I mean, they, like I said, they're probably not 60 points better than the Jaguars, but they very well might just be better than the Jaguars and they get to play them again. Uh, who knows how Carson Wentz will ultimately turn out with the Colts. Colts are doing a lot of injuries too. Uh, obviously one of the least vaccinated teams in the NFL and that can upend any week. Uh, and the Titans, you know, I think are obviously the best team in the division or, or at least they're one of the top, too but they're kind of a house of cards too you know with being so star heavy and, and stars and scrubs sort of built roster construction and a bad defense so and the texans play them in the last week of the season when you know who they who know they could be resting guys for the playoffs so i've said for a while i don't know if it's un, it's not it's reasonable to me this team could go 500 in the division you do that i think you only got to win one or two more games to probably not have the worst record in the nfl um i and the other thing is that i think david cully the sort of guy he has one total 180 from bill o'brien he works uh, or he's a very positive guy all the time. He seems to be a guy that co- the players can really rally around. Um, and I think that you have a lot of guys on one-year contracts, like 30-something guys on the, this 53-man roster. People are going to be motivated to play hard all year. And so I think that is kind of their recipe for um, success. And I guess the goal is like in, the, in these four months is, you know, can you, can you finish the year strong, have some momentum, have players buying into what you're doing, have players buying into this coach. And hopefully, you know, maybe out of this 30 something guys who are on one year deals, the last year of their contract, you find three or four who you want to keep around long-term. This is the fourth oldest roster in the team or, or in the league, maybe a little bit older now after they signed Danny Amendola, who's the oldest guy on the team. Um, but they, you know, so not all these guys who are around on short-term rentals are going to even prospects to stick around when they're contenders again, but they do have some younger guys like Desmond King and, and Malik Collins and uh, um, Farrell Brown is a tight end, obviously you mentioned who is still, it is, is still kind of young on the younger end of stuff. And he, uh, um, he's going to have a chance to play a lot this year. So, uh, you know, I think their goal is kind of identify a few guys and, and just feel good about where they're at in terms of where the coach is. And then basically in the next 10 months, you kind of do it again. You know I mean? I think that, like I said, this whole roster is going to churn. They're going to be able to do, take shots on guys all over again. They're going to have their full slate of draft capital and, you know, we'll see what happens with Watson. If they're able to trade him um, for what they want to trade him for, then that would give them a whole lot of other draft capital to maneuver around and go get any quarterback they probably want uh, in the draft, if that's what they want to do, or, you know, build the rest of the roster out first and have Tyrod play be a quarterback for another year and then go from there. Um, what do you want to know about the Browns? I want to know if how, uh, how good you think the defense really is. It seems like they had a lot of pieces, but do you think they're really, uh, that much better? Well, I think, I think piece by piece they are, um, obviously playing the chiefs in week one is, is a cruel <laughs> punishment. Uh, and I think no matter who they play, they're, they're going to need some time, but like they, they're taking a chance on Malik McDowell so far. So good. Huge upgrade, right? They're, 
they're taking a chance on Clowney because they're paying him eight times what they're paying Malik McDowell, right? Um, not not great in the first game, but you see it. You know, you see what he brings and what he can bring to a unit that already has Miles Garrett in terms of moving guys around, right? Um, and, and, you know, getting – I thought they went a little light on the pass rush, Aaron. I, I really did um, because I just – I don't know that you can trust Tack McKinley and Jadavian Clowney to play full seasons. So we'll see. Uh, You know, linebacker is deeper, but it remains a question mark. They lost Jacob Phillips, one of their better linebackers, to a torn peck. And so that moves the rookie JOK up. Um, And maybe he was going to move up anyway, but he had a quiet first game. You know, and we'll see in the back. I think John Johnson, the safety, was was the centerpiece. And he was close last week. I think when he's not playing against Patrick Mahomes, I think he's going to take some passes away and he's going to make some game changing plays in the middle. Denzel Ward is still lights out. So yes, it is better. Um, And yes, you know, as the game plan fits together, right. They want to score. They want to get up on you, especially a bad team and just let Garrett and those guys feast and let those DBs take chances. Um, You know, they even last year when they weren't good at all, they were pretty good at taking it away. And then they were really good at scoring off those takeaways, which, you know, um, is a time-tested formula for, for winning games. So we'll see. Let me ask you about Casario. Um, he's a Clevelander. You know, he turned on the Browns and other teams at certain times or interviewed or flirted with them, whatever. You know, is he showing any personality? Because I know sometimes uh, Belichick disciples that have some are hesitant to do that, even, even when they do have some. And, you know, do you think he's glad <laughs> that he took this job? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, I think it definitely is a different job than, uh, than people interpreted initially. Uh, I, you know, it seems like, uh, maybe the Patriots are in a bit of transition too. So this was the the time to leave for a lot of people. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think all these guys, as you know, I mean, you know, they work for this chance and he does have, um, I think he's going to have the leeway to build it out, uh, on, you know, to however he wants, really. I think he's going to have the time. I think, you know, he was certainly paid uh, enough to be afforded the time. Uh, and, you know, I, in some ways, obviously, it would be better, you know, if you had the the generational quarterback just in place. But it is kind of a fun um, experiment, I think, in terms of just uh, – uh, it's just kind of like starting from blank, right? I mean, especially if they get if they get a lot of capital for Watson, which, you know, that there's a huge asterisk on, on that, that hypothetical. But, like, if they do – then you have all these kind of all this ammunition to kind of rebuild the roster however you want. And then you do so obviously, you know, uh, you don't have a quarterback and a rookie contract, which we all know is a huge benefit. And so it's, it's almost like, I thought this at the time when before the lawsuits happened with Watson, but it was just, he wanted to be traded. Like uh, it would not play well publicly and it probably would not benefit you in the long run. But I did think the, on the, the far end of both outcomes, like it, there was a chance maybe that there was a higher ceiling. If you trade this guy for a ton of picks and stuff, and then, uh, and then you get to kind of rebuild the rest of the roster because the roster needs um, so much help. As in terms of kind of Casario just showing some personality and stuff, he, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you've seen a little bit of it uh, every now and then. You know, uh, they're still pretty uh, patriotsy and and kind of the way they uh, um, go about explaining some of their some of their moves and whatnot. But they, uh, uh, he did show a little bit of personality. Like most recent press conference, he said something like, "When he took over the job, they ranked like 40th in, in cap space," and that got a that got a good chuckle out of people. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I mean, it's been 12 years now, but I worked for the Browns when Eric Mangini took over, and I saw the approach to roster building, right? And as I followed the Texans through the spring, and I saw all these guys who had, 
you know, four to six years of NFL experience and we're smart guys or we're certain scheme guys, right? But but talent really um, not, you know, super talented by NFL standards. Um, it reminded me of of a page of a Belichick light rebuild, right? And I, I know they had cap problems. I know they have to do it this way. I, I, I respect Nick Casario. I like him. I'm interested to see. I just I just know that that Watson thing hangs over everything. And really, you can't realistically trade him until there's some some clear some assurance that he's not going to be in legal trouble, right? Right. That's at least that's the way I've always viewed it, right? And like, I, it doesn't seem like it's, you know, if teams weren't willing to pull the trigger before the draft or give the Texans what they wanted before the draft, it's hard to imagine they're going to do it now that since the draft, now it comes out that the FBI is investigating him. And, you know, like and things have not gotten better, you know, since, since that time. So I, I, I don't see a world in which you need, you need some clarity on this. And uh, you know, he's, he's scheduled to be deposed in, in February. And uh, so, you know, that some clarity maybe arise a little bit before the draft, but I, I definitely think that it's possibly just sitting on the roster um, all off season. But, you know, you, you mentioned kind of about the roster construction. The, the one thing that I have found kind of interesting about it is like the degree to which they went so veteran heavy. And like I said, one of the oldest rosters in the league, because I think there's a world in which you could take a lot of flyers on one year guy, one year guys and whatever, but they could be younger and you could have more guys who are, um, who are kind of know that they uh, maybe they have a chance to contribute in the future, but they didn't really do that. Like I said, you know, like they needed an extra receiver, but the receiver they picked was Danny Amendola, who was pretty competent last year for the lions, but is also the oldest guy on the team, like late into his 35th year, I think. And uh, so, I mean, like, I don't know if uh, I, I don't, I wonder at what point there is diminishing returns on how many of these veteran guys you have who are kind of tone setters, like how many of those do you really need? And, Obviously, I'm not the one making the decision, uh, but that's the that would be, I guess, the one critique or or one thing I've kind of been curious about. But it, you know, as much as uh, the outlook for the team is bleak, it is it is interesting to follow and cover because uh, you know, like you said, it has been done to some degree with Eric Mangini and other times in the NFL. But uh, you know, there's no team like this right now in the NFL in terms of just so many so many uh, guys on one year deals, so many older guys, uh, and at least you know right now when they're one and zero and stuff, I think a lot of the guys on this team appreciate that this is just an opportunity to go out and prove themselves again and establish themselves. And that really every job was up for grabs. And that, that is kind of unique in the NFL. And, and that was at least kind of fun to follow and talk to people about during training camp. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So confession time here. Um, we call this segment the Zach Jackson dipshit move of the week presented by Zach Jackson. Uh, I'm in four survivor pools. And in one of them, I took the Jaguars last week. I just oh. thought, 
God, the Texans are bad. Like, I know it's at Houston and all that, but, man, like, when else are you going to use Jacksonville, right? Like, we're going for the gusto here. It doesn't matter if you get eliminated in week one or week 15. And, well, I got eliminated. Not only did I get eliminated in week one, Aaron, I was eliminated by, like, 105 Eastern time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. So, we've had – we've had – um prouder moments but you know we'll see like i said i i don't know what to think i look at the line you know browns 12 and a half for 13 game total of 48 the browns are going to score on just about anybody you know i think the browns are going to um they're going to they're susceptible to the short pass which tyrod wants to do right you know i think he can give them trouble with his mobility but if he turns it over one time i think the floodgates are i see like a 27 um 10 or 13 type game and, and maybe a chance for the garbage time cover. What do you think? I think that's, I think that's, that's probably realistic. Yeah. I mean, I don't see a world in which they win the game, but I think, uh, you know, I think if, if somehow the, the, they win the turnover battle, if the Texans win the turnover battle and uh, you know, they're able to run more efficiently, maybe they are a true competitive covering the spread, like, you know, and they would lose by 10 and it was close, like within that margin the whole time. But I just have trouble seeing it because I think once they're down by two scores in the second half, that's when their offense is really going to get exposed just because they can't, they're not going to be a drop back team. Um, but no, I mean, I, I guess like what, what is, you tell me, what would be the, what would be the, what would have to happen for them to, let's forget win, but what would have to happen for the Browns to uh, have a close game against a truly close game against the Texans throughout and, and only win by, you know, like, like, say, a touchdown. Well, the Browns are looking at playing either a rookie or a backup guard at left tackle because um, their number one and two left tackle are injured. So neither is officially ruled out, Aaron, but, you know, 72 hours before, they both look doubtful for, for this week. And I think in this in the case of the starter, Jed Wills, that they, they think it's going to be, you know, at, at least this game for him. So you would look at the Texans creating pressure and then winning the turnover battle. Um, situ- especially early in the year, it comes down to situational football. The Browns didn't force any turnovers last week to score. I thought one of the shining defensive moments, though, was when Nick Chubb fumbled, they held the Chiefs to three. So I think it would be a combination of the Texans getting back there and taking the ball away from Baker from you know once or twice holding the Browns to three when the Browns go marching down the field and just really keeping it at a one possession game. And then you hope you, you bust that one big play that, that to me is what it looks like. And I think, you know, not that you can really pull this off in the NFL. It's not like anybody runs, um, you know, the army offense and and has a bunch of nine minute scoring drives, but I think in areas where you can be patient, right. I think the Texans need to do that. And I think if they can move the chains three or four times and have some time consuming drives, um, you know, keep their defense kind of off the field and just try to keep it within that one score range. That to me seems, seems their formula. Yeah. Even, even with, uh, even with, you know, uh, the offensive line issues you mentioned uh, with the Browns I st- and the injury issues, I, st- I still struggle to see a world in which this team is able to consistently pressure, uh, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield. Like I said, they, they didn't do a great, they did an okay job, not great job pressuring Trevor Lawrence uh, and, you know, a Jag against the Jags offensive line that was not very good last year. And obviously a rookie quarterback who's uh, susceptible to being confused. And, uh, you know, as a Lovey Smith team, they're going to rush four and they don't have like a, a top end sort of pass rusher anymore and after losing JJ Watt. So, uh, you know, if, if they can step up there, maybe that, that, that would obviously be key, like you mentioned, but I, 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 I'm doubtful that it will happen. 
Yeah. Well, it's going to be hot uh, and it's going to be wild. A lot of people in Cleveland who are of legal drinking age have not seen many good Browns teams and they've been waiting. And last year for the Browns to win 11 games in a year where the stadium was, you know, under restrictions and there was no tailgating and any of that stuff. Sunday's going to be one big party. Um, and we'll see if the Browns offense obliges. I, I think that it will. So subscribe to the athletic, um, subscribe to civilized barking, download, share all that stuff. We know you're on board. Uh, it'll be Jason Lloyd and me after the game, um, with our typical recap episode, you can go back on Spotify or on Apple and listen to all the episodes. So we thank Aaron Reese. We thank you for listening. This has been Civilized Barking. See you Sunday in Cleveland.